Thanksgiving Day is a purely American holiday. Yet somehow we sometimes fail to appreciate all the things that we collectively have to be thankful for. Today, especially in the wake of a war with demagogues and bigots attempting to set one group of Americans against another, it seems more vital than ever to me that we pause to consider the ideas and the ideals from which our nation has sprung. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another Triple Stack Sunday, but it's not Sunday. It's Thursday. I usually present these shows on Sunday night. I thought I'd move them to Thursday since they're all Thanksgiving-related. The first show is the Bing Crosby show, and that intro is a piece of the show. It'll show up about halfway into the show, but I just thought it was an interesting piece and a lot harder edge than Bing Crosby's show usually is. Tonight on Bing's show, he's going to feature Frankie Lane, who's a singer that uh, had a career of 75 years, just passed away here about a decade ago. And uh, his song he's going to sing is his biggest hit, That's My Desire. And the beginning half of the show will pretty much shape up the way you would expect a Bing Crosby show to go, other than the fact that the very first performance and talking segment can be seen today as a little bit racist, but um, you just have to take it in the time it was 70 years ago. Things were a lot different, though some things remain somewhat the same in, in that the the piece of that it's going to be presented tonight is the man without a country and it's a poetic narrative that's going to be narrated by Bing Crosby and I think you'll see that it has some ramifications even into today well at the time this is what was written about it Bing Crosby was impressive on his Philco show Wednesday night the 26th on ABC as the narrator of Gene Holloway's dramatization of Edward Everett Hale's The Man Without a Country. There was one other noble aspect of the of the broadcast. That was the impression on the listener, particularly during the present emphasis on patriotism of the familiar story of Philip Nolan's disgrace. There has always been something disturbing about the notorious incident but this broadcast suggested a never before, not even on several previous presentations of the same script, that the punishment imposed on Nolan was inhumanly cruel. It was deliberate and unrelenting, and only death brought relief for the officer who on thoughtless impulse wished never to hear of the United States again. No one could seriously have thought Nolan really have meant what he had blurted out in a moment of rage. In fact, as Hale's account says, Nolan's epitaph contained the statement that no man ever loved America more than he. Only the most supremely self-righteous patriot could willingly face the same strict accountability of his everyday reckless world that Philip Nolan faced. And this broadcast suggested that in, this, in the case of the man without a country, the intended villain emerged a finer figure than did the zealots who judged him. That's from Variety, December 3rd, 1947. And it's a review of the Bing Crosby show you'll hear tonight. Um, another piece of this that I thought makes it give it some relevance today, of course, is we have Hamilton that is the big Broadway success and smash. And Aaron Burr, 
appears both in Hamilton and in tonight's performance. So uh, it'll be interesting um, getting a different viewpoint of, of Aaron Burr or different insight into um, the history, including Aaron Burr. Now moving on, after that we have the Al Jolson show with his guest uh, Dorothy L'Amour, who of course Dorothy L'Amour is famous for being in the road pictures with Bob Crosby, Bob Crosby, Bing Crosby, and Bob Hope. And so I hope you'll enjoy her appearance on the Al Jolson show. And we close out the night with um, the Jimmy Durante show. It's his Thanksgiving show as well. So we have three kind of Thanksgiving focused shows. We brought you that show last week, but since there was a missing episode last week, I thought I'd bring it there. I didn't know if I would be, would be showing this, uh, airing this before uh, Thanksgiving or not. But since it's Thanksgiving evening, I thought I'd go ahead and present this as well. So I hope you enjoy all three shows and uh, that the Bing Crosby show is a little bit eye-opening. Without further ado, here are three great Thanksgiving shows from 70 years ago this week. Enjoy. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day Someone waits for me This is Ken Carpenter welcoming you to Phil Call Radio Time produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra the Rhythm Airs and Bing's guest, Frankie Lane. Now at this Thanksgiving, with all of America eating and wasting less food, our Thanksgiving tables will not be groaning with delicacies. However, at this time, we bring you a man who groans all year long, Bing Crosby. Thank you. Now, Ken, if you'll relinquish your half of the microphone to the rhythm airs, I'll share mine with John Trotter and the orchestra, and we shall all dance nimbly around the old chaperone. comes Maria. It's muy simpatico, no? Uh, Julio is phenomenal, phenomenal. But look, look, whoop, whoop, whoop. who's with her? La duena, the chaperon, the uh, cook. You can't do anything with this chaperon. No, malo, malo, muy malo. A handsome young man met a pretty young maid Adando in old Barcelona Adando means walking and that's all they did Cause she had an old chaperone, a crone She had an old chaperone Maria the girl noticed Pedro the boy Awakened right there in the calle Well, calle means street and no one can make love In the street with an old chaperone, a crone no, not with an old chaperone. The old chaperone was her Tia, and Tia means Annie in Spain. She may have been out to Maria, but to Pedro she was a big pain. So Pedro just smiled at Maria the maid. His dientes, they sparkled and shone. Dientes means teeth, and that's just where he'd like to have kicked the old chaperone, the crone, the bothersome old chaperone. Pedro then said, Dear, if we were alone, I'd ask for your mano in marriage. 
No by no means hand. And that's just what he got across the chops from the old chaperone. A hard old stone had the old chaperone. Why don't you go away, said the old chaperone. You're blubbering like a paloma. Paloma's a bird. And that's just what he gave her. And then he cried in an anguished tone. I hate you, you old chaperone. Hate you. And then came the day of fiesta. <laughs> fiesta, the people all roared. It sounded like they said siesta. So Auntie just stayed home and snored. While Auntie was dreaming, the lovers were beaming. They danced and they sang in the plaza. Now plaza means square, but nobody there was as square as the old chaperone. For she left the two lovers alone. They respectfully thanked the old crone. They said, gracias, old chaperone. Hey, Julio. Uh, now I got the big news for you. Now we are married. Bueno, bueno. But tell me, what happened to the old chaperone? Now she is the babysitter. Dos pesos per day, time and a half on cumpleaños. Si. Bengalito. Gracias, Sino Carpenter. Oh, it's nada, Bengalito, it's nada. Say, Carp, you kick this stuff around pretty good, mm -hmm. don't you? Why don't you fling your commercial at him in Spanish? Oh, I couldn't do that, but... Gee, you might sell a lot of filcos in the Spanish-speaking parts of the world. Mexico, Spain, Nutley, New Jersey, oh. Perth Amboy, anyway. Well, I don't know enough Spanish for that, Bing. Why, sure, you could just say, uh, ladies and people, I'm not talking through my sombrero when I tell you that a nice filco... We'll bring you many buenas noches, it looks like. Looks like. Uh, See. Si. <laughs> well, Bing, that's very good, but I think for our English-speaking audience, we should be more explicit. Okay, my talkative friend, go ahead and explice. <laughs> well, thank you, Senor Crosby. Si, well, say it in any language you like. You get the most for your radio money when you say Philco. Take Philco's new table model automatics. They give you more than just a warmed-over version of the same old radio and record changer. Their design is new, they're new all the way through, with more power and finer performance than any table radio phonograph you ever listened to. No shortcuts, no shoddy workmanship, but quality construction from the circuit clear through to the cabinet. Compare these new Philco's for tone, and your own ear will tell you more than a book full of bromides. Compare them for price, and you'll appreciate the value made possible by the resources of the world's largest radio manufacturer. Philco, famous for quality the world over. I've never heard you better. Thank you. So bland, so unctuous. Let's oh. give him a hand, folks. <laughs> now let us turn our attention to Philco's uh, guest of the evening, a flashy young fellow who zoomed to a prominent position in the category indexed as vocalist, comma, popular. The lad who's fracturing the folks from Philadelphia to Fresno with his snazzy singing style is Frankie Lane. Frankie, two paces forward, take a deep bend from the midriff. Frankie, come on right in now and relax. Hiya, Bing. Good. Gosh, ever since I can remember, I wanted to be on your program, and now that I'm here, I wish I was dead. What's the matter? Frankie. I understand it's just a matter of days until you open at the New York Paramount. You know, Frankie, that's where I got my first big shot. The good old Paramount Theater at 14th and Broadway. 
But Bing, mm. the Paramount Theater's at 43rd and Broadway, right on Times Square. Oh, that's right. They built a new one. <laughs> a new one? Yes. When I played the Paramount, it was at 14th Street. The Indians were still holding Times Square. <laughs> but I certainly want to tell you, Frankie, in all sincerity, I like that style, that bouncy style you've got. If you'd like to sing that tune that uh, helped to bring you so much national recognition, we'd certainly like to hear it. That's, that's my desire. Would you like to knock that? Well, mm. <laughs> well, Frank, look, we got a wonderful little group here all set. Come on, let's have it, huh? John Scott, a little eight-beat uh, background for Frankie? <laughs> to spend one night with you in our old rendezvous And reminisce with you That's my desire To meet where gypsies play Down in Cafe and dance till break of day. That's my desire. We'll sip a little glass of wine, and I'll gaze into your eyes, divine. Mine to hear you whisper low just where it's time to go. Sherry, I love you so. I'm any judge, Frankie. You're here to stay for a long, long time. You know, folks, Thanksgiving Day is a purely American holiday. Yet somehow we sometimes fail to appreciate all the things that we collectively have to be thankful for. Today, especially in the wake of a war with demagogues and bigots attempting to set one group of Americans against another, it seems more vital than ever to me that we pause to consider the ideas and the ideals from which our nation has sprung. A few weeks ago in our nation's capital, the most precious documents belonging to the people of the United States were removed from the archives and placed aboard the Freedom Train. This week, the Freedom Train is in Baltimore, Washington, and Charlottesville, Virginia. When it hits your hometown, you ought to go down to the station and get aboard. 
Look at those words of liberty, those documents of justice, those papers that guarantee equality for all Americans. It'll remind you that we, as Americans, have much to be thankful for. Not only today, but as long as we are free men. Believing this, we would like to bring you tonight a story of a man who turned his back on his heritage. Order in the court. Order in the court. The attorney for the state will kindly continue. Mr. Nolan, is it not true that you were part of a conspiracy to destroy the government of the United States? No, that is not true. That is not true, I tell you. Do you dare to deny your friendship with Aaron Burr? No, I don't deny that, but I do deny your accusations of treason. Lieutenant Nolan, Aaron Burr has shown himself repeatedly to be an enemy of the United States government. As an American officer, your country's enemies are your enemies. By your association with Aaron Burr, you betrayed the uniform you wear, the flag you follow, the country you profess to serve. That is true, is it not, Lieutenant Nolan? No, it is not true. It is not true. Do you still dare to defend your association with Aaron Burr? I don't think it needs defending. I only talk to the man. You don't think it needs defending? You need say no more, Lieutenant Nolan. I rest my case, Your Honor. Nolan, rise and face the court. Philip Nolan, is there anything you wish to say to show that you have always been faithful to the United States? The United States! Damn the United States! I wish I may never hear of the United States again! Who was that man? Who would dare utter such treason? Come over closer to the radio, America. I want to tell you a story about you and your growing... This is not a story of a national hero, but of Philip Nolan, who severed a bond before he knew its value. Listen to the story of the man without a country. Think back, way back to the 1800s. Remember? You were still an adolescent then. You were proud of being a nation of 17 states. You were beginning to speak grandly of adding Michigan, Indiana, and Mississippi and becoming 20. Zealous old Tom Jefferson was in the White House. And down in the South was a man named Aaron Burr. And a man named Philip Nolan. They say now, now that history has sifted the facts, weighed the evidence, they say Philip Nolan was as fine as any officer in the Western Division. Oh, he was a little more hot-headed than some, a little swifter to anger than others, and a little too quick sometimes about getting his two cents of opinion in, but... He was not alone in this. There were many dashing young gallants like him as ready to die for a kiss as a flag. And Philip Nolan might have gone to his final sleep among the vine-covered homes of the dead in Orleans as quietly as any of them had a star not crossed his path one night. Mr. Nolan, I am Aaron Burr. I am told you are a young man of remarkable promise. I should like to talk with you about your future. Why... Thank you, sir. I don't know what to say. Thank you very much. A star comes that way sometimes. Sudden, blinding, dazzling. Aaron Burr came as a disguised conqueror. Rumor had it that there was an army behind him and an empire before. But that first day in Orleans, though Philip Nolan wasn't to know it for a long time yet, 
he became the man without a country. It was only a step from Aaron Burr's side to a trial for treason. The United States versus Philip Nolan. He was bewildered, deeply hurt, embittered. Above all else, he was young. An older man would have checked his anger. A traitor would have been wise enough to hide his feelings, but Philip Nolan was neither a wise man nor a traitor. A moment's silence. And then those words that would echo forever through his life. I wish I may never hear of the United States again! I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of The words filled the courtroom, shivered against the walls. No one spoke. No word fell to combat those other words. Half the officers in the room had served through the revolution. They had fought their way, starved and frozen through endless bitter months, so that one day a people could say, this is my country. The judge and the jury rose. They left the court wordlessly. No one else stirred. Someone in the back of the room sighed. Someone else coughed was all. Fifteen minutes went by like fifteen years before the judge returned. Prisoner, hear the sentence of the court. The court decides, subject to the approval of the president, that you shall have your wish. You will never hear the name of the United States again. It was the fall of 1807. It would be 1863 before he heard her name again. The leaves would go red in Maryland soon. They would be piled along the Potomac for burning. Their smoke would spiral into lace against the November skies. They would be tapping the trees for maple sugar in the Vermont woods. And the New England housewives would gather in their spiced kitchens to prepare the Thanksgiving puddings. The Cape Cod fishermen would go out in the misty dawn for their nets. And the harvest would be a bright promise on the Indiana hillsides. The Blue Ridge and the Alleghenies and the Rockies would pull the snow up over their shoulders and settle down for the winter. And the Mississippi would go slipping on through the heart of America. There would be hearth fires and Christmas trees. There would be dances. There would be church service and wedding ceremonial and baptismal. But not for Philip Nolan. His was the sea and the bitterness of salt on his lips. No port at evenings. And in one sudden, heart-stabbing moment, Philip Nolan knew what he had lost. Sir, you will receive from Lieutenant Neal the person of Philip Nolan, later lieutenant in the United States Army. You will take the prisoner on board your ship and keep him there with such precautions as shall prevent his escape. You will provide him with such quarters, rations, and clothing as would be proper for an officer of his late rank. But under no circumstances is he ever to hear of his country or to see any information regarding it. So Philip Nolan walked the decks of the seven seas and thought about America. But he never asked about her. He talked with his shipmates about the weather, about the sea, about all things but home. In foreign ports, where he was rarely permitted to go ashore, he filled his days with reading. But in the books and papers given him, there was no mention of America. For him, she was only a dream that had ceased existing. He was a ghost among his companions, drifting from port to port, listening to a word that filled his heart, that reached him in the wind, that sighed from the rigging, 
that the waves whispered through the midnight one word, America. The grass is blue in Kentucky this spring. Wouldn't you like to ride through it with the earth hard and firm under your horse's feet? Think of it, earth under you. The flower girls are in the streets of Orleans now. It's almost time for the Mardi Gras. Remember the girl you kissed at the Mardi Gras? The fields are white with cotton now. The slaves are singing. What would you give to hear their voices? Snow is thick and white in New England. They're riding through it to the Christmas parties. Can't you hear the sleigh bells? How long is it since you heard sleigh bells? <coughs> Leave me alone. I can't stand thinking anymore. Oh, God, let me stop remembering. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. The court decides, subject to the approval of the president, that you shall have your wish. No! 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 Philip Nolan could never find peace. Ships docked, set sail. Men went home on leave. He watched in wordless agony. He thought of candlelight on warm, gracious tables, of gardens where a man could crumble the rich soil in his fingers, of linens whipping on clotheslines and the friendly smells of kitchens. He thought of moonlight on hair that was soft as silk to the touch, of eyes liquid in the starlight, of lips velvet smooth and ripe for kissing. He thought of arms open wide to gather in the returning sailor, and one special voice that would say, welcome home. He thought of perfume and music and the rustle of silk. He was young, and there was a fierce hunger in him. And then one night in the Mediterranean, some ladies were invited aboard for a ship's ball. All that was young in Philip Nolan died that night as he stood on deck looking at the girl he had loved a lifetime ago. And Emery. Why, Philip Nolan, this is a surprise. You're looking splendid, Philip. The sea evidently agrees with you. I'd forgotten how lovely you are. You must have forgotten many things. It's almost impossible to believe finding you again. I'm on my way home. I've been visiting in France. I tried to see you before I left. They wouldn't let me see anyone. I understand. I was very busy at the time, anyhow. I was married soon after you left. Married? Yes, of course. Hadn't you heard? I have a little boy now. A little boy? You must be very happy. I am, Philip. So strange that we should meet again way out here. I'm a little sorry we did meet. I had forgotten you. It was better that way. I love you very much. I loved you, and I lost you and everything else I loved in one mad moment. Oh, my dear. I think we should get back to the dances. Yes, of course. Anne, would you tell me just one thing? What do you hear from home? Home? Mr. Nolan? 
I thought you were the man who never wanted to hear of home again. I beg your pardon. Good night, Anne. Philip Nolan knew in that moment how alone he was. One man with only the sea for the rest of his life. And one nameless port at the end of it. The days became weeks, the weeks, years that marched across his forehead and left him old. His eyes were deep pools of loneliness, his heart completely empty. No one knew until the day he was dying how deep his hurt had gone. No one knew until that day when they entered his room for the first time and they founded a shrine to America. The stars and stripes were draped around a picture of Washington, and he had painted a majestic eagle winging gloriously up into the sky. At the foot of his bed was a great map of the United States, drawn from memory with almost forgotten names on it, the Indian Territory, the Mississippi Territory. Here, Captain, you see, I have a country. Yes, I see, Nolan. How do you feel? Anything I can do for you? Captain, I'm dying. I'll never see my country again. But there's not a man on this ship or in all the United States that loves her as I do. Would you... Would you tell me about America? Tell you about America? How can I begin to tell you about America? He had left America in 1807. It was 1863. War had come and gone in 1812. And Francis Scott Key had sat on a British battleship and written a national anthem. Jackson had taken the Florida Territory. A new flag had been raised in Washington with 13 alternate stripes and 20 stars. Nine presidents had been in the White House, and the Monroe Doctrine had been born, the cornerstone of American foreign policy. The continents of the Western Hemisphere are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any of the European powers. The United States had begun to gather themselves into a nation. It is not the states, but the people of the nation who have made the Union. It is, sir, uh, the people's constitution, the people's government, made for the people, answerable to the people. Tell him about America. Tell him about Peter Cooper's steam locomotive, the Tom Thumb, drawing its first train of cars over 23 miles of the B&O Railroad. Tell him about America. Andrew Jackson had moved the Indians west of the Mississippi. Arkansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa had joined the nation. The Battle of the Alamo had been fought in Texas. Gold discovered in California. And a new nation had spanned two oceans. The South and the North were deep in their quarrel over slavery, and in the White House was the president whose words Last were the voice full of the new nation. measure of devotion that we here resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Tell him about America. The power, the color, the strength, the beauty, the tears, the triumphs. Tell him so that he knows the glory he thrust aside. She's a great nation, 
Captain. A great nation. Yes, Nolan. A great nation. Nolan. Nolan! And so his last thought was of his country. Before they lowered him into the sea, they draped the flag of the United States over his coffin. How proud that would have made him. The captain intoned the last rites. The bugler played taps. And the ceremony was over. Men, we found this paper in Nolan's things. Bury me in the sea. It has been my home, and I love it. But will someone not set up a stone for my memory at Fort Adams or at Orleans so that my disgrace will not follow me through eternity? Say on it, in memory of Philip Nolan, lieutenant in the Army of the United States. He loved his country as no other man has ever loved her, but no man deserved less at her hands. We will do as he wished. And so... Although the sea claimed him, his soul would know the feeling of land again. The flowers would be near him and the trees and the earth of America. He would know the seasons and the pulsing life of the nation. There would be a flag over him and the knowledge of belonging. And thus, the man without a country came home to America. Every American has plenty to be thankful for. Philco Corporation, its distributors and dealers everywhere, join in wishing you a happy Thanksgiving and invite you to tune in next week when Bing's guest will be Al Jolson. The poetic narrative based on the story by Edward Everett Hale was written by Gene Holloway and directed by Robert L. Welch. The musical score was composed by Victor Young and conducted by John Scott Trotter. This program was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Murdo McKenzie. Starring Al Jolson with Oscar Levant, Lou Bring and his orchestra and chorus, and our guest, Dorothy Lamour. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for its song. When it
Folks, this is Al Jolson in the old Kraft Music Hall. Well, today is Thanksgiving, and we all have a lot to be thankful for. I know today when I sit down to my Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to bow my head and give thanks for the food that I eat, thanks for the clothes that I wear, and thanks for Larry Parks. <laughs> And I, I, I'm especially thankful that you like to hear me sing Cause there ain't nothing I want to do more Come on, Lou, let's take it When the wintry winds are blowing And the snow is starting in a fall Then my eyes turn westward knowing That's the place that I love best of all California, I've been blue since I've been away from you I can't wait till I get going Even now I'm starting in the call oh, California, here I come Right back where I started from Where bowers of flowers bloom in the spring Each morning that dawning birdies sing And everything a son gives me said Don't be late that's why I can hardly wait Open up that golden gate California, here I come California, here I come, yeah Right back where I started from Where flowers, a flower bloom in the spring each morning at dawning the birdies sing and everything the sun gives me said don't be laid off that's why I can hardly wait come on Louis open up open up open up that golden gate California here I come Al, I needed that song. It cheered me up. I know, Oscar. I read the papers. But, <laughs> but what's making you today more unhappier, you know, than usual? Well, among other things, my wife wants to get into politics. Oh, Oscar. Don't worry. Let your wife go into politics. It'll keep her busy. Yeah, but she wants me to do the campaigning for her. What's I'm wrong? I'm supposed to go around kissing babies. Really? <laughs> I think that's beautiful. That's really sweet, Oscar. Why should you mind kissing a few little teeny-weeny babies, really? Every time I kiss a baby, I either get whooping cough or the measles. <laughs> That's funny. The only thing I ever caught from a baby was colic. But it didn't last very long. My wife put me over her shoulder and burped me. <laughs> Al, uh, how could your wife put you over her shoulder? I lied about my age. <laughs> Oscar, look, if your wife is really serious about politics, have her go after a big office, like president. The White House would be a good place for you, really. What makes you think so? They already have a piano there. Now... <laughs> there isn't a chance for a woman to be president. No? A president has to be over 35 and a leader of men. That's right. Very few men will follow a woman over 35. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, I would. <laughs> 
Al, I wonder what it would be like to have a woman secretary of the Navy. Secretary of the Navy? A woman? Oh, that would be wonderful. She'd give the sailors that new look and put some more material in her pants. You know, they'd wear them that way, you know. Well, I'm not going to worry anymore about my wife being in politics. No? She's already the Speaker of the House. That's nothing. <laughs> That's nothing, Oscar. At our house, my wife is chairman of the investigating committee. <laughs> Al. Yeah. What do you mean, investigating committee? Well, when I say I'm going to the fights on Tuesday night, brother, she really investigates. <laughs> I don't want to discuss politics any further. No? I happen to have my piano with me, so I'll play something. Well, uh, what made you decide to play so suddenly? I'm tired and I want to sit down. <laughs> well, what are you going to play, Oscar? Well, a friend of mine asked me to plug a song for him Who? Fred Chopin I know his brother, Sam <laughs> <laughs> Well, at any rate, I'll now drool over one of Chopin's nocturnes Sixty different Thanksgiving days, many a feast menu has included the famous Philadelphia brand cream cheese. In fact, this creamy white, exquisitely fresh-tasting cheese is so famous that some people think any cream cheese is Philadelphia cream cheese. Now, uh, don't you make that mistake. Genuine Philadelphia is the brand made only by Kraft, the brand that's guaranteed fresh by Kraft. And that's why it's important to see the name Philadelphia brand marked right on every package of cream cheese you buy. That's the way to get rich-tasting, fresh-tasting cream cheese every time. 
playing turkey in the straw? I was just thinking, it's six o'clock out here and we haven't had our turkey dinner yet. Yeah? But in New York, it's nine o'clock and everybody's eating. Well, what about it? If I was in New York, I wouldn't be so hungry now. <laughs> Oscar, look. Don't encourage him. Oscar, look. Go ahead and play something and later we'll go up to my house and have Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, we've got a big, beautiful 16-pound cheese. <laughs> Cheese? Yeah, cheese Don't you have turkey on Thanksgiving? Not while I'm working for Mr. Kraft, I don't <laughs> I'm glad we're not working for a dog food company <laughs> Oh, that's pretty, Oscar Oscar, Oscar, what is that? It's Madame Butterfly An opera about a Japanese girl Well, what's Japan got to do with Thanksgiving? They've already eaten over there, too <laughs> <laughs> Will you forget about the food and play a little more of that Madame Butterfly, please? Al, why is it you never let me sing with you? I have a voice, I have a larynx, I have lungs I want to sing before it's too late <laughs> One fine day in June Oscar Yeah? It's too late <laughs> Don't play any more of that It's too high class I got a song, you know, for the common people Poor Butterfly uh, Do you want an arpeggio? Hmm? An arpeggio Yeah, give me an apugio <laughs> Again with the apugio, all right Poor Butterfly Neath the blossoms waiting Poor butterfly For she loved him so The moments pass into hours The hours pass into years And as she smiles through her tears She murmurs low The moon and I Know that she'll be faithful I'm sure she'll come To me by and by But if she don't come back Then I never sigh or cry I just must die Oscar, Oscar, what did you think of my rendition of Poor Butterfly? Poor. <laughs> this is no time to make a joke, and you didn't. <laughs> yes, sir, this is where you talk, Oscar. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I was transported by your fiercely beautiful voice. Uh -huh. Al, I, wanna, I want you to do a request for me. Sure, Oscar, anything you want. Name well, it. Well, many years ago, before I was a little boy... What were you before? <laughs> What were you before, a little girl? <laughs> no, I'm serious uh, You sang a song called Rosie, You Are My Posy mm -hmm. And it... 
And it would titillate me greatly if you would sing it. Well, Oscar, if it'll tit... <laughs> if it'll titillate you, I'll sing it. Rosie, you are my posy. You are my heart bouquet. Come out here in the moonlight. Get something sweet, love. I wanna say, your honey boy, I'm waiting. Those ruby lips to breathe. Don't be so aggravated, my blushing rosy, my posy sweet. Rosie, you are my posy, you are my heart's bouquet, come out here in the moonlight, there's something sweet love, Oscar, I'm singing about my baby, your honey, your little boy I'm waiting, love Ruby. Those lips to greet Don't be so aggravating My blushing rosy My posy sweet Al, I notice uh, whenever you sing about a girl You throw everything you have into it Well, Oscar, I throw what's left There's another girl song you should do, and yeah? it's no. Here it is. Oh, Oscar. Oh, Oscar. That's yes? a beautiful one. Look, uh, have yourself a small tacit while Lou plays this, will you? On the Rue de la Paix there was once a cabaret and Mimi As the night went along There was suddenly a song and Mimi All the world seemed to say That they loved the cabaret and Mimi but I knew that when she'd see me Mimi sang for me alone Came in a pash with a passion For dancing with the one that I adore Taught her the dance in his fashion And for me She's singing no more On the Rue de la Paix There was once a cabaret And a mimi 
Now I'm sitting sad and dreamy Just for Mimi and her song Al, you should see what just walk in the hall to pay us a Thanksgiving visit Ken, if it's turkey, I'll take a drumstick Al, Al, <laughs> Dorothy Lamour is here my order remains the same. <laughs> Why, Al, you old rascal, you. Dorothy, I can't help it. You know, in the spring, a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love. But this is winter. I know. When you get to be my age, you don't like to lay off for three seasons. <laughs> Al, I'm surprised at you. I expected a little dignity on the craft music hall. Instead, I find you're just a wolf like Bob Hope. Me? <laughs> Me, Asa Yolson, a wolf? <laughs> Yes, only you're not young enough to run with a pack anymore <laughs> You know, Dorothy, I used to hear you on that army show, Front and Center Oh, and I liked you so much, Dorothy, I tried to enlist But they didn't take me Why wouldn't they let you in the army, Al? Flat feet <laughs> I can understand I almost got flat feet for making those road pictures Oh, yeah, with Bing and Bob You made a lot of those, didn't you, Dottie? Yes, I was in Road to Morocco, Road to Utopia, Road to Rio. And now, and now you're working with Al Jolson. End of the road. What? <laughs> Al, I'm here. Oh, excuse me, Dorothy. This is Oscar Levant. How do you do? How do you do? I'm Oscar Levant. I just said that. I know. I wanted to hear it again. <laughs> Gee, Mr. Levant, a girl doesn't often get a chance to meet a brilliant man like you. No, they don't. <laughs> Dorothy, you'll have to excuse Oscar He's very bashful You see <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't know how to talk to girls Yes, I do Miss Lamore, uh, would you care to go dancing? Yes, I'd love to Where'll we go? Arthur Murray's, I don't dance <laughs> I've only been here a few minutes And I've already had an invitation to go out this is like working with Hope and Crosby. Ah, uh, Dorothy, look, do you always do those pictures with Bob and Bing, don't you? Well, have you ever thought of making a little change in the casting, you know? Oh, Al, who could ever replace Bing and Bob? I don't know who could play Hope, but I could take Bing's place. <laughs> when the blue of the night... How does it go? I don't know. <laughs> Al, how does it go? Go I mean, right ahead, never mind. When the blue of the night... Da -da 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 -da, I yeah. don't know how it goes. Meets the goal of the day. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like Crosby. That sounds like his brother Everett. But look, <laughs> Dorothy, honestly, I, I could be like Bob Hope. This is Al Kraft Cheese Jolson, who says if you want to treat her, try and meet her, a good-looking senorita, get her to wave her feeder, turn on the heater, and she'll toast your Velveeta. <laughs> or... That doesn't sound like Hope Sounds like Effie Boone what? Well, I'm not sure you boys would qualify After all, the road pictures are full of romance You know, love makes the world go round I know I've given it a few spins myself <laughs> Well, Al Let's see just how romantic you are Say a few sweet things to me Dorothy You're wonderful you're beautiful You're divine 
Does that remind you of hope? No. When Bob puts his arms around me, his nose always dents my forehead. What am I up here? A bookend? <laughs> Oscar, go tune the piano. <laughs> Dorothy, this is a moment I shall always cherish. You are the loveliest. You are the sweetest. You are the most wonderful. You, Oscar, Oscar. Yeah? What are you doing there? You told me to tune a piano. But Oscar, I'm making love. You could stand a little tuning too. <laughs> Oscar, please, don't bother me, Dorothy. My darling, when I look deep in your eyes, I feel that I... Say, Oscar, have you read any good books lately? Yeah. I was reading Money Man by Al Jolson. Oscar, please. Look, Dottie, when I'm making love, all I ask of a girl is that she pay attention. Dottie, dearest, my love for you is... Oh, Al, My love you... for you is more than a mountain. Al, you... My love for you is... Why, Al, you just couldn't be in a road picture. Why not? The road would always be under repair. What? <laughs> anyway, the music in our pictures is more important than the lovemaking. Well, I'm good at anything. Same here, only more so. <laughs> well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Oh, in your bright red sarong, you could make a man go wrong, and I would go if I were able. I don't look like being a hope, but it's just like buying soap. Judge the contents, not the label. Uh, I'm no, go ahead. I'm an innocent laddie. Never was a ding-dong daddy And two beautiful girls I see Before I get much older I should grow much older And get started a-making pain Leave us not be laconic You guys live on celery tonic For you it seems I have no sex appeal Least with Crosby and Hope Give them a little rope And they'll make a girly squeal <laughs> Give me a little bit of plasma And me a hot piano And then you, you can, can hitch us to your shade Neither one of you I'd marry Both of you I'd have to carry On our old your house is interested in food right now, but tomorrow, same old story. Only tomorrow, they'll be glad to have something light, and you'll be glad to have some light kitchen work. For lunch, how about some sandwiches filled with fresh-tasting Philadelphia brand cream cheese, along with the celery and olives and cranberry relish left over from today? Or for dinner tomorrow, try this speedy dessert. Simply crackers and jelly and a square of creamy white Philadelphia brand, so rich, so fresh in flavor. Just make sure it's genuine Philadelphia cream cheese you get. The brand that's made only by Kraft and guaranteed fresh. Whenever you buy cream cheese, always see the words Philadelphia brand marked right on every package you buy. Smart shoppers make sure that they get the one and only Philadelphia brand cream cheese, backed by Kraft's guarantee of freshness. <laughs> Folks, on this Thanksgiving day, 
There are many of you having family reunions and visiting friends. You're sitting around the fireplace after that big Thanksgiving dinner, listening to the radio, or maybe the younger kids, and many of the older ones are gathered around the piano playing and singing the good old songs. Just to be able to do that is something to be thankful for on this day. And you know, an old song is like an old friend. And one of the oldest friends I've had since I started singing so long ago is my gal Sal. So you're sitting at home being thankful for all the wonderful things you have. Why don't you sit back and just join me? They call her frivolous Sal, a peculiar sort of a gal with a heart that was mellow and all round good fellow was my old pal your trouble sorrow and care she was always willing to share a wild sort of devil but dead on the level was my gal A peculiar sort of a gal With a heart that was mellow And I ought to know An all-round good fellow Was my, my old pal Your trouble Sorrow and care She was always willing to share A sort of devil But death on the level Was my Bodges production, A Miracle Can Happen. Tune in again next Thursday for the Kraft Musical, starring Al Jolson with Oscar Levant, Lou Bring, and his orchestra and chorus, and our special guest, Red Skelton. This is Ken Carpenter saying goodnight. Stay tuned into this station to hear Jack Carson with Eve Arden, who follow immediately. Also, tune in to Great Gildersleeve next Wednesday on this network. Remember, next Thursday's guest on Kraft Musical will be Red Skelton. <laughs> Millions of people in our land are turning to the church and to the synagogue more than ever before. 
turning in search of comfort, renewed faith, and encouragement. The 200,000 churches and synagogues of America are rising with nobility and zeal to meet increased demands. But they cannot continue this great fundamental service unless we all give them help. And that is why this week, local churches and synagogues are joining hands throughout our country in a common appeal for increased support. If we heartily respond to this appeal, our churches may continue to nourish the things of the Spirit in all who come to them. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Durante Show from the 1947-1948 season. I don't know how much you've been enjoying these. I've been having a lot of fun with them. Sound quality is amazing. Tonight's episode, we get to spend some Thanksgiving time with Jimmy Durante. We already spent Thanksgiving with um, Bing Crosby a little bit on Monday night, Tuesday night. Some Thanksgiving time with uh, Jack Benny and the gang. Tonight, of course, with Jimmy Durante. And it just brought up something to me. If you could invite any old-time radio star to your house for Thanksgiving in any time period... Who would you have? Now, I'm going to ask you guys to email me the, your answers in a second, but I, it's too easy if we just say one person because uh, 90% of you will probably say, oh, Jack Benny. And that's what I would say too. It's not just light or fluffy or anything. It's just that's who a lot of us would pick. But let's say you pick three people or three to five, somewhere in there, and you email me who you would have visit you for Thanksgiving. I'll give you mine really quick. I'll give you a three. Number one, have to be Jack Benny, you know, so it's going to be Jack and it'd be 1940-ish. And so that I could uh, talk to him about his show and about how they're um, adding cast members and, and I could talk about Rochester's character and um, I just think around that time would be really cool. So, like 38 to 42-ish, sometime in that time frame. Then, secondly, and probably more importantly, <laughs> but secondly, I would have it be Phil Harris. And for Phil, it would be in 1951, 52, probably 52, is really when I'd want to see Phil. And I would spend the dinner trying to talk him into taking his show and doing what Jack was doing with his, keep doing it, the radio version, but do a television version. Talk to him about how Lucy did it and how she filmed her shows. And um, I just really pushed for that. And I think that would be a really interesting conversation that I would probably lose. Uh, then, then the third person. Who would have third? I almost want to say Bob Hope, and yet I've heard people that have met with Bob Hope, and you know, some of them have really good memories of me with Bob Hope, and other ones don't as much. So, you know, maybe Bob. Um, I guess I'd probably go with Elliot Lewis, and if I was having, if I was going to go with Elliot Lewis, it would be oh late, like uh, nineteen eighty. 
81, something like that, because I would like to talk about all of the things that he did in radio and, and just have a chance of hearing about his whole experience with radio in general. So I guess those would be my three people. Um, anyway, who would your three people be? Email me at buckbennyotr at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. And enjoy another Thanksgiving episode with Jimmy Durante. And we'll see you tomorrow. Good health to all from Rexall. From Hollywood, the Jimmy Durante Show. Ink, a dink a dink, a dink a doo, a dink a dink. Oh, what a doo, all Now, ink, a dink a dink, a dink a doo, a dink a Yes, it's the Jimmy Durante Show with Arthur Treacher, Candy Candido, Roy Bargy and his orchestra, our Rexall sportscaster Tommy Harmon, yours truly Howard Petrie, and our special guest tonight, that glamour boy of the corset set, Victor Moore. Brought to you by 10,000 Rexall drugstores who carry the complete line of top quality Rexall drug products. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, an early guest for your Thanksgiving dinner, the one and only Jimmy Durante in person. <laughs> Start off each day with a smile. I'll bring lemon in your tea. Now, even when things go wrong. But I want cream in my tea. You feel better. You even look better. But I say I'm putting lemon in your tea. How yes. ghastly. I want cream in my tea. Too bad Princess Elizabeth and Philip are having their first quarrel. <laughs> That's right, Jimmy. You were at the royal wedding, weren't you? Yes, and what an exuberant festivity. I was running amuck with emotion, and Howard... Right after the ceremony, the princess mounted a palatial stairway, and when she threw out the vital brocade, do you know who caught it? Who caught the brocade? Durante. <laughs> oh, gosh, Jim, when a person catches a princess's bridal bouquet, that means they'll become a member of the royal family. You don't know it, Howard, but you may be looking at the new next queen mother. <laughs> which may be very confusing to the queen father. <laughs> Now, Jimmy, I hope you haven't neglected your work here at home. We all know you're running for vice president next year, but have you decided on a campaign issue? Yes, Howard. That's why I conducted my nationwide poll of the new look. I'm going out wholeheartedly for the women's vote. Oh, women, 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 women. <laughs> this boy scout master let him out in the world too soon. But, Howard... Women's fashion in such a hubble bubble and hubble that I've even designed a style of my own. My dress will be backless, sideless, seamless, hemless, topless, sleeveless, and strapless. Well, what's it called? Good morning, Judge. <laughs> but I had to get to the bottom of the situation. So I went to the studio of that great designer of feminine clothes, Anatole. And he greeted me very warmly. Oh, voilà, Monsieur Durante, très bien, voulez-vous, je ne sais pas. I kiss the cheek. I kiss the cheek. I kiss the cheek. Please, please, a simple hello will do. <laughs> Give these guys one line and they'll run you right off your own show. <laughs> but tell me, Anatole, how do you feel about the new look? 
Oh, the situation is terrible, monsieur. This new style, she's ruining for Annie told the dress business. And to think this should happen after I've led such an unhappy life. You see, years ago, I worked in France picking olives. All day long, I picked olives, I stuffed olives, I packed olives, nothing but olives, olives, olives. So I come to America to become a dress designer just so I can forget olives. And who do you think my first customer is? Who? Zazu Pitts! <laughs> I can't talk anymore about it. You will have to continue the discussion with my model here. Oh, Mrs. Brady, I'll be happy to help you all I can. <laughs> wonder I can't get insurance. I'm living in a hurricane zone. Oh, you gay rascal, you. Oh, is that your nose or is a Goodyear blimp flying low today? Flatterer. <laughs> Help you in your survey about the new look. I've even written a new song about the new look. Would you like to hear it? No. Fine, I'll sing it for you. Now listen. <clears throat> Old McDonald had the new look. E-I-E-I-O. With a new look here, a new look there. Um, here look there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now stop that vocalizing. E-I-E-I-O. Will help you get the new look. I'm not worried about the new look. Where am I going to get a new audience? <laughs> what a dilemma. Can anyone give me an opinion on the new look? Well, I'm the man on the street and I've written a poem about the new look. You, <laughs> <laughs> you have a very intelligent face. Go ahead, read it to me. Well, here goes New dresses cover up the legs, there's nothing left to show. So now, instead of whistling... I'm feeling mighty low. Ah, <laughs> uh, I can tell this isn't Duranny's day. But, folks, I've had my moments. Yes, I've had my moments. When I look back through life, I find lots of memories remain. Certain days stay in my mind. And keep running through my brain I remember the day that Italy swam the channel What a flash! I remember the Wall Street crash Or when Winchell first shouted flash But there's one day that I recall Though it was years ago All my life I will remember it I know I'll never forget the day I read a book It was contagious Seventy pages there were pictures here and there, so it wasn't hard to bear. The day I read a book, it's a shame I don't recall the name of the book. It wasn't a history, I know because it had no plot, it wasn't a mystery. Because nobody there got shot, the day I read a book, I can't remember when. But one of these days I'm gonna do it again. Why, if you walk into my house, you'll see loads of books. And believe me, they're not there just for appearances. <laughs> I press an awful lot of butterflies. <laughs> I know reading is relaxing. What did Napoleon do for relaxation? He read a book. What did Lincoln do for relaxation? He read a book. What does Congress do for relaxation? They book a red. <laughs> You know, I'm familiar with all the bestsellers. There's the Encyclopedia Britannia, Forever Umbriago, 
And a new piece of significant literature which says, Molly Shuey. How do you like that? I've been reading the life story of Mumbles. <laughs> but I love good reading. Why, last week I spent two solid days in the library. Much to my regret, I buried my nose in a book, and what happened? I forgot which book I buried it in. <laughs> but good past the school. It wasn't a history. I know because it had no plot, it wasn't a mystery. Because nobody there got shot. One day I read a book. I can't remember when. But one of these days I'm gonna do it again. Yes, sir. One of these days I'm gonna do it again. Did you know that more than 2,000 different drug products carry the name Rexall? That's a big family indeed, and a highly respected one, too. For in millions of American homes, the familiar name Rexall has come to mean the utmost in quality, purity, and reliability. So for any and for all of your drug needs, always buy Rexall. You can have confidence in what that name means, quality, purity, and reliability in drug products. Get them at Rexall drugstores throughout the nation, where 25% of America buys its drug needs. If you want to be sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation, buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Good health to all from Rexall. Well, friends, Jimmy has been fattening up a turkey in his backyard for Thanksgiving. But while he was away, Arthur Treacher has been selling raffle tickets on the turkey. And Treacher doesn't want him to find out because he'd take it back, and then Treacher wouldn't have the turkey, which he really didn't have to begin with. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Our show has a plot this week. <laughs> well, let, let's see what happens. Oh, I say, Mr. Durantis, I was looking for you. Would you care to buy a raffle ticket on a turkey? But, Treacher, I already have a turkey. Yes, I've seen it, sir. And I think you'd be better off to eat it while listening to the Rose Bowl game on New Year's. He looks to me like a USC turkey. A USC turkey? Yes, a very tough backfield. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my tall boy who said that. <laughs> well, I, I think you should buy a ticket, sir. Have you ever won a turkey raffle? Well, at the last one I attended, I had number 6347958437762. But the fellow next to me had number 8495735587665. So just for luck, I said, I'll trade you my 6347958437762 for your 8495735587665. So he gave me 8495735587665. For my 6347958477762. A lucky number. Well, who won, sir? The judge's brother-in-law with number six. <laughs> but come on, Treacher. Let's go in the backyard and get that turkey ready for tomorrow's festivities. Well, you know, sir, I think you should consider carefully before doing away with that bird. Once I had a pet turkey, and after I cut his head off, I was filled with remorse. Only quick thinking saved the situation. If you'd already cut off the bird's head, 
What could save the situation? Well, I rushed into the nearest pub, sat him on the counter and said, Bartender, put a head on this. Oh, sir. Oh, I say, I've got a million of them. A million of them. <laughs> you got a million of them. Why did you have to pick on that one? <laughs> but let's forget your raffle, Treacher. Come on out in the backyard and take a look at my turkey. Your turkey, sir? Oh, if you only knew. <laughs> ah, that's my turkey. Won't he look nice on the table? <laughs> this turkey isn't stuffed. He's loaded. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should have something else for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Why, sir, he kissed you. Why not? Anything with a beak like that has got to be on my side. <laughs> but sympathy ain't going to get in my way. Teach it. Get that boy to the chopping block. Well, sir, I, I feel there's a confession I, I must make. You see, your turkey is the one I'm raffling off. And someone has already won it, sir. A catastrophe. Why, you won't get my turkey, Treacher. He's my Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, look, sir, look, he's flying over the fence. <laughs> Not a turkey, it's Hildegard. <laughs> Treacher, do something. Well, don't get excited, sir. There's our turkey coming back up the walk now, and there's a man with him. Why, it's Victor Moore. <laughs> Jimmy, isn't it true that on Thanksgiving? People are supposed to eat turkeys. That's right, Victor. Yeah, I told you, you crazy turkey. Now let go of my leg. <laughs> let go of that leg, turkey. That's Victor Moore, not Dorothy La. <laughs> well, Jimmy, old pal, I guess I won the turkey raffle. Here's the winning ticket. Number 888. <laughs> Gosh, I'm crazy about eights. They're so feminine looking. <laughs> I'd better have a talk with this boy. He's beginning to notice things. Yeah, well, okay. Wrap up the turkey. Now, wait a minute, Victor. This happens to be my turkey. Oh, no. I want it fair and square. I'm eating this turkey. <laughs> you stay out of this, you beast. Now, look, Jimmy. I don't want any arguments. I'm awfully tired. You are? Yeah, I've been breathing all day. <laughs> you know, if it's too much of a strain for you, do what I do. Close one nostril for the season. <laughs> Treacher, explain to Mr. Moore about the turkey. But I'm sorry, Mr. Moore, but this particular turkey belongs to Mr. Durante. However, here is your first prize in the turkey raffle. Well, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do with this egg? Well, sit on it long enough and you've got your turkey. Uh, <laughs> nothing doing. I entered a turkey raffle, not a maternity contest. <laughs> Victor, Victor, you'll go down in history as the first turkey sitter. Besides, Victor... <laughs> I got a laugh for one of the musicians. Besides, Victor, I can't get another turkey... I can't get another turkey before Thanksgiving, but I know you can. You're a big man in this town. I am? Sure, you've got a lot of drag around here, a lot of pull. Well, with what I've got to drag around, I need a lot of pull. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't 
think you're going to talk me out of this turkey with flattery. You're all right, Victor. Our friendship is too great to be shattered by such a trivial inconsequentility. So I acquiesce to the inefferitable. <laughs> How embarrassing. Even a turkey knows I said it wrong. <laughs> Follow your script, turkey. You come in later. But, Victor, I got the solution. You have Thanksgiving dinner with me tomorrow. Oh, peachy. Now, take that turkey out in the backyard and give it the axe. Me? Why do I have to do it? Why can't you knock the beast off? <laughs> I couldn't. I'm just a softy. But you, Victor, I can tell by just looking in your eyes that you're strong, red-blooded, and fearless. Are you sure you're looking in my eyes? <laughs> That's the turkey. I'm over here. <laughs> Victor, Victor, there's no other solution. You've got to go through with it. Okay, give me the hatchet. Now, where's the turkey? He just locked himself in the garage. Oh, I'll get him out. Hmm. Hey, we got four of them now. Yeah. <laughs> no, Victor, these are the sportsmen. When Jack Benny went home last night, he remembered to take his Maxwell, but forgot his quartet. And it's a lucky thing because it's time for a song. Sing, sportsman. <laughs> Each morning a missionary appetizes with neon signs. He tells the native population that civilization is fine. And three educated savages holler from a bamboo tree. That civilization is a thing for us to see. But bongo, 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 we don't want to leave the Congo, no, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bongo, we're so happy in the jungle, we refuse to go. Don't want no bright lights, false feet, doorbells, non-points, we make it clear. That no matter how they coax us, we'll stay right here. We look through a magazine, the missionary's wife comes here. We have people who are civilized bang you with automobiles. When they've got two weeks vacation, they hurry to vacation ground. They swim and they fish, but that's what we do all year round. So bongo, 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 we don't want to leave the Congo, no, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bongo, we're so happy in the jungle, we refuse to go. Don't want no bright lights, Paul Steve. Doorbells, convoys, noise in our ears. So no matter how they coax us, we'll stay right here. We'll stay right here. Zimbabwe, bongo, 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 we don't want to leave the Congo. No, 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 no. Zimbabwe, bongo, bongo, we're so happy in the jungle. We Civilization. Civilization. The distinguished Rexall quality story begins in the Rexall Laboratory. Yes, the Rexall Laboratory is one of the largest and most completely equipped pharmaceutical laboratories in the world. More than 2,000 different Rexall drug products are scientifically compounded 
under the exacting direction of the laboratory's doctors, chemists, and pharmacists. That's why when your Rexall druggist says, for example, In Rexall Plenamins, you get all the vitamins for which our minimum daily requirements have been established, plus liver concentrate and iron to help prevent simple anemia. You may be sure your Rexall druggist knows what he's talking about. Thanks to the unsurpassed quality standards of the Rexall Laboratory, you can depend on any drug product bearing the name Rexall. The quality of one Rexall product will tell you the quality story for all Rexall products. Remember, 25% of America buys its drug needs at Rexall drugstores. If you want to be sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation, buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Good health to all from Rexall. Victor, Victor, Victor. Turkey's head is supposed to go on a chopping block, not yours. Oh, gosh, I don't know why I'm so timid. My father was one of the toughest men in the days of the Klondike Gold Rush. You think my family raised sissies? Why, the day I was born, my father threw a wild cat at the McCrib and said, I'm cooking the loser. <laughs> my uncle, Harpoon Snoop Durrani, was one of the most feared men in the great Northwest. Never forget the story he told me about the time he was lost. What a fate. What a fate. Lost in the frozen wastes of the Yukon. Left to freeze in the ice and snow. Hundreds of miles from civilization. Gordy Homers, get your popsicles here. <laughs> popsicles. Food. Food, I'm saved. <laughs> But wait a minute. What are you doing in a frozen wasteland selling popsicles? I'm working my way through. Through what? I don't know. They won't tell me until I sell all these popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless your little pecan crunch. <laughs> say, <laughs> say, you must be Frostbite Moore, the most feared man in the Yukon. Can there be any doubt? Who are you? You're shaking mittens with harpoon Snoop Durrani. Mighty lucky you finding me like this, Frostbite. She sure is a bad night out tonight. Never did see you, never did I see such a bad night as she sure is a bad night out tonight. <laughs> is that written right? Well, how is the weather? Pretty good. <laughs> but for saving my life, Frostbite, I'm giving you a half interest in the lost mine of the Klondike. It's right over there. Let's go. But wait a minute, there's somebody already at that gold mine. How do you like that? General Myers beat us to it. <laughs> no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's Cutcoat Cactus Pete, the bloodthirstiest desperado of the Yukon. I got it. You sneak up behind him, frostbite, and keep him covered. I can't. My legs just froze up. Oh, that's just bad blood circulation. Just shake your legs a little to start the circulation up again. Okay, I'll shake my legs. Now she flows <laughs> Now go ahead, Frostbite Get down on your stomach and crawl Well, why don't you crawl? I can't Why not? When I'm on my stomach, my feet don't touch the ground <laughs> If he had a longer head, he wouldn't make a bad seesaw <laughs> Okay, Victor We're close enough Pull your gun and keep him covered 
All right, you guys, I got you covered. If anybody makes a move, I'll blow my brains out. <laughs> you ain't a scaring me, stranger. I got a knife here, and I'm gonna cut you from ear to ear. I think I'd better go shout my popsicles. <laughs> Don't move, Cactus. My partner's mighty handy with the shooting iron. He is? Well, I'll be a rattlesnake's uncle. My partner cut his first tune on a horse pistol. He did? Well, I'll be a coyote's grandfather. Yeah, and I'd let you have it right now if it wasn't for one thing. What's that? I haven't got it. <laughs> Well, I'll be a hyena's nephew. This guy's got a lot of relatives. <laughs> okay, boys, you caught me red-handed jumping your claim. What are you going to do about it? Say your prayers, Cactus. In just ten seconds, you won't be here. Yeah, what makes you so sure? I peeked at the next page and you haven't got a line on it. <laughs> Well, he's gone. Just shows you what lazy writers can do. <laughs> okay, Frostbite, let's dig for the gold. That can wait. Let's celebrate first. I'm going to find my gal, Malamute Sal, and smother her with kisses. You want us to travel 75 miles by dog sled just so you can kiss a girl? Yeah. That's mushing a long way, just a mush. <laughs> let's go. Bartender, bartender, give me a double whiskey straight and a short beer from a dog. Yeah, and I'll have a bourbon frappe with a rattlesnake a sitting on a cherry. Yeah, and give it to me in a broken glass. <laughs> Hiya, Frostbite. How's my little sugar plug? It's my girl, Harpoon Snout. I want you to meet Malamute Sal. Howdy, little missy. I'm setting up this round. What's your pleasure? Kissing, what's yours? If Mrs. Calabash is listening, remember she's twisting my arm. <laughs> Sorry, stranger, but my kisses belong to Frostbite. Take it, Frosty. Mm. <laughs> oh, my little butterball. Would you rendezvous avec moi ce soir? No, I couldn't, really. I couldn't. Oh, chérie, mon nom magnifique. Je vous embrasse avec tout ma cœur. Je vous donnerai les baisers, beaucoup de baisers. No, I couldn't, really, I couldn't. What's she saying? Maybe I could. Sacre <laughs> <laughs> bleu! It's half-breed Harry. Malamut says she's my girl. I kill, I kill, I kill. Would you care to buy a popsicle? <laughs> Listen, you ain't killing nobody, half-breed. That's my partner you're talking to. Who are you? By God, you got one big nose. What'd you expect me to have two little ones? <laughs> you stay out of this. Draw your gun, you butterball. We fight for girls. No, no, don't fight. Stand back, Sal. I'm gonna blow him to bits. <laughs> They shot the lights out, and I think they knocked each other off. That means you're mine now, sweetheart. I'll kiss you like this. And this. Now, what do you say? Will you marry me? Well, I'd like to, but I gotta... <laughs>
Friends, here are those foremost Rexall reminders for the week. Remember, 25% of America buys its drug needs in Rexall drugstores. Remember, Rexall is that large and respected family of more than 2,000 different drug products. Remember, you can always depend on any drug product bearing the name Rexall. Remember, Rexall drug products are available in Rexall drugstores everywhere. Touche, Howard, and I'd like to add, I do my shopping at a Rexall store, buying Rexall drugs, and furthermore, hombre, I'll go, he prefers them too. We buy Rexall, that's all. How about you? Thanks, Victor Moore. Thanks, Victor Moore, for coming over tonight. Next week, folks, Charles Boyer is going to be our guest. And what a team we're going to be for the ladies. What he lacks, I haven't got either. <laughs> Before we close, we're going to get a little, little low down on one of the big football games this week from Tommy Harmon, famous player of the Los Angeles Rams. Tommy, tell us what goes with the football situation this week. Well, Jimmy, there are a great many top football games this week, such as Texas versus Texas A&M, Georgia versus Georgia Tech, and Southern Methodist versus Texas Christian. But our Rexall spotlight this week shifts with the eyes of the nation to Philadelphia, where one of the sport's grandest spectacles takes place. I'm referring to the always great football classic between Army and Navy. To those of you who were fortunate enough to see last year's game, you will probably never forget how a valiant Navy team fought one of the Army's greatest 11s to a standstill and almost caused the upset of the year. Army won the game 21 to 18, but as the guns sounded, Navy was driving inside Army's five-yard line. This year, the game will not have the outstanding name stars as it has had in the past, but the game will be just as fierce as previous ones in the spirit of competition. I happen to see Navy play once this fall, and although they have a fighting 11, I don't think that the middies can turn the trick against the superior Army team. Once again, I think the strains of on brave old Army team will echo through the streets of Philadelphia come sundown next Saturday. <laughs> Good night, Peggy Lee. See you next week. And good night, Mrs. Calabash. This program was produced and directed by Phil Cohan. Good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.